0: Well, we're over in 1 Kings chapter 2, covered chapter 1 last time, and we saw that David was uh, going to give the kingdom to Solomon, but that his brother had other ideas and tried to take it over. There are two people that uh, went along with it, Abiathar the priest and Joab, the commander of the army, all joined sides with that. They weren't necessarily against David, they just saw this as a better choice, and they had been uh, some of David's most loyal people. But they went against what David, what they knew David wished for on this one, and we saw from all the things who they invited, who they didn't invite, all that that was going on. But anyway, we're over here in chapter two, we're at verse, verse one. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, "I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, and His testimonies, as it is written." In the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your son takes heed to their way, to walk before me in truth, with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Well, I like this part he said here. Prove yourself a man. The way you prove yourself a man, according to David, is keep the charge of the Lord your God. To walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn that the Lord may fulfill his word. So this is, what, this is how he proves that he's a man. Not by being tough, not by how many people he can, uh, how many victories he can have in the army. Not by uh, any of those kind of things that we might, the world might look, look at. Said so this is how you do it. Keep the charge of the Lord. Would. First of all, you've got to know what the charge of the Lord is. And then after that, you've got to keep it. Because there are people who will try and sway you from the charge of the Lord. Make sure that you don't let them. But then he goes on and he talks about the promise that he had from God, that he would not lack for a man to sit on the throne. But he says, it's a conditional thing, that the Lord may fulfill, verse 4, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul... He said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Well, when you look, look at that, that the Lord may fulfill his word, is God in control of fulfilling his word in these situations? No. You walk, look on Facebook a lot of times, you'll see that uh, phrase, you know, God is in control. That aggravates me most of the time I hear it, because I know how most people speak it, how most people talk about it. You know, well, whatever happens to me, God meant it. No. Sometimes we didn't do what we were supposed to do, and God wanted to do something different, but he can't. And so this is what David is telling him. God says that I won't lack for a person to sit on the throne and that my sons will continue to sit on the throne if you guys follow after him. If you don't, <laughs> then it's not going to happen. So uh, that's kind of something that we're in control of. I either do it or I don't. And so he's telling that. Now, he's got some suggestions for him and things that he ought to do. As he goes on, he says, "Moreover, you, verse five, moreover, you know also what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner the son of Ner, Amasa the son of Jathir, whom he killed." Now, uh, Abner was a guy that David was considering to put over the entire army when they merged the kingdoms together, and Joab didn't like that because Joab wanted to be over the whole army. But it seemed that um, maybe Abner had more character. It remember if you're here back when we went did a series on David, when we looked at the two, Joab seems to be a better commander than Abner. When they went to war, who won? Joab. <laughs> so, so Joab is seems to be a better commander, a better general. But Abner seemed to be a better person. And so David may have been considering that because. He, he liked the better person. He was a man after God's own heart. Joab was not quite that way, but Joab was good at what he did. And if Joab prospered in what he did, then David prospered at what he did. That's just uh, how that worked. But uh, David was giving consideration to put Abner over Joab. And Joab got wind of it. He didn't like it, so he had a little <clears throat> private meeting in which he uh, killed Abner. Well, he also did it to uh, Amasa. And uh, David didn't do anything about that. Now when you go back to the time when he killed Abner, uh, David didn't have any sin between him, the Lord, Joab, and so forth that would have prevented him from dealing with Joab. The reason that he didn't deal with it, I'm guessing on this, I can't say for sure, I'm not David, wasn't there, he didn't write about it. But the reason that he probably didn't deal with Joab at the time that Joab did that was that there was no one better qualified to do his job. He had no obvious replacement. Abner was the obvious replacement, even though he was not as good as Joab. So he was going to do that because he saw some problems in Joab's character and he figured he had problems with that down the road. But there was nobody he could find, apparently. I mean, he had good fighting men, but not necessarily good generals. You can be a good fighting man and not a good general. And that's what he needed was a good general, someone to be over the army. So if he dealt with Joab... He had no commander of the army. He's taking over the kingdom after Saul. We still have problems with the Philistines. We need, a, we need a general. And he may have thought that, I'm kind of stuck, I need him. Now, he may have not sought after the Lord. Maybe he did seek after the I, I can't tell you because it's not written about. But anyway, that's why he didn't deal with them then. A lot of times people want to say, well, David didn't deal with Job because of the sin of Bathsheba and he brought him into it with Uriah. And that's all true, but that happens much later. If David wanted to, he could have dealt with them at this time, and he didn't do it. Now, he says uh, what he did to me. What did Joab do to David? Joab was a very loyal person to David. he He may have had his issues, but loyalty was not one of them. He was extremely loyal to David. He never tried to take over the kingship, never tried to take David's position, and he would have died for David. He was extremely loyal. The problem came with Absalom. Joab was mad when the guys listened to the king and didn't kill him. And Joab went over and killed him himself. Now, he did it to protect David because he saw him as a threat who was going to come up later on. And it was the smart thing to do, was to get rid of him. Because already we had a problem with him before. We brought him back. We now have another problem with him. And and Joab saying, I don't want to bring him back this time. He needs to go. He is a problem for this kingdom. He's going to be a problem for David. And if no one else is mad enough, as he would think it, no one else is mad enough, I'll go out there and I'll take care of this. And so he killed him. And But David didn't deal with him over that. He let that, that go. There was enough bloodshed at the time. The kingdom had a, had quite a bit of an up, uprooting, almost a civil war. So he let it go with that. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime it's one thing to shed the blood of war in wartime, but it's, it's a bad thing to shed the blood of war in peacetime. And uh, that's kind of like what terrorists do. And God does not like that. God doesn't like war. But if you're going to go to war, go to war. God never commissioned people to go to war who didn't pick up arms and march out as an army and attack people. He didn't do that. But uh, that's what that is. Shedding blood, you're, you're sneaking up on people. You're saying, peace, 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 and you come in there and kill him. He said, the blood of war in peacetime, and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. So he says, "Uh, you'll know what to do. (laughs) You get out there and you deal with Joab, but uh, you're going to need to deal with that problem. I didn't deal with that problem, so I'm going to pass that off to you. You get to deal with that problem. He says, but show kindness to the sons of Brazilia, and the uh, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table, for so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. Now, if you want to read the story on this, it's over in Second Samuel nineteen thirty-one through thirty-nine. Second Samuel nineteen thirty-one through thirty-nine. That's where you'll see the story of all that that happened. Um, It's actually a pretty nice story, and these folks did a lot to try and help David out. He says, "Remember them. Remember what they did. Uh, They they took care of me when I needed it. Take care of them." Verse 8, And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Baharam, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahaniam. That's when he was fleeing from Absalom. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him. But bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. So uh, he's not telling them exactly how to handle it, but he's telling them what he might prefer him to do. But he says, you're, you're wise. You'll know what to do, but you need to deal with him. Now, but what happened with, with this guy is when David was leaving, this guy was cursing him, saying all kinds of manner of evil things. And the, the, the mighty men that were around him were ready to go out there and take his head off. Let me go out there; I'll go out there; i take care of this guy. He shouldn't be saying this stuff to the king. And uh, David said, no, no, God may have put him up to it. Let him go ahead. And so they went on, and when they came back, he realized, man, I cursed the wrong guy. <laughs> I'm in trouble now, because he's coming back. He's coming back into the kingship. He's going to come and kill me. So he threw himself at the mercy of David, probably more to preserve his life than he felt like he was wrong. But uh, David said, all right, I'm not going to kill you. There's been enough death going on here. We're going we're to go by, bypass this. But he's, he's still thinking about it. And when he dies, he says, uh, uh, Solomon, get in there and take care of that. Do something with him. Verse 10, so David rested with his his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. So David's gone, and now up to Solomon. Now, as 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 soon as David is gone, you know, there's a lot of people around who wanted the throne. Think that the young guy coming in here, we can probably do some things with him. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. Now, I don't know how this would be in the household, but this is the son of another mother. This is the son of another wife. I would think, you know, obviously he was married to Adonijah's mom before he was married to Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the, the new one in. And there's probably some strife between the the two wives there. You can kind of imagine. Here comes the son approaching uh, Bathsheba. Because Solomon's the king, that's his mom. He figures this is the way in. Do you come peaceably? He said, peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, say it. And he said, you know that the kingdom was mine and all Israel had set their expectations on me that I should reign. Was the kingdom his? No, the kingdom was not his. He was going to try and usurp it. All Israel had set their expectations on me? No, they had not. But that's how he viewed it. That I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brothers, for it was his from the Lord. Well, you got that right. At least it was a promise from David anyway that it was going to be, be that way. But um, it's amazing, especially, I mean, this week we've been hearing all sorts of stuff that's been going on that's been, been, been lives to us, Right. The, the guy from the, was it NBC News? Brian Williams, Brian Williams yeah, who uh, apparently uh, not only told the lie of the one to which he was caught on, but apparently there are a whole lot of other lies that he was, <laughs> uh, the, the person floating down the, the, did you hear about that one? In New, Orleans. in New Orleans, there was a person floating down when he was in, staying in the hotel in the French Quarter. Well, the French Quarter was never flooded. Yeah. So there was never anybody floating down the, the hall. And he said he looked at it down through his uh, hotel room. Well, he also says he didn't have a hotel room in another instance that he was staying in a hall on a mattress with a bunch of strangers because there were no hotel rooms. So how do you look out your hotel room when you're in the hallway, which has no windows, to, to see this thing? So, and it, apparently that's not the only ones. There were other ones, too, that apparently he's fabricated a number of things. And I, I heard uh, people were, were pointing at the military. Why didn't the military come forward and talk about this? They're like, it's the military's fault. NBC is a news agency. There were other people on the trip. And not a single one of them exposed it. Not a single one of them brought it up. In fact, NBC even made a promo about Brian Williams and all these little things that he had done. And they wouldn't blame the the military. (laughs) Be careful with with folks like that. You know, there are so many and they, they just don't seem to... I guess it depends who you are. Some people, they want to pick on your lies and other people, they don't. Hillary Clinton... She was, uh, said her, her chopper was, uh, was fired upon. They had sniper fire. It didn't. She said we had a corkscrew in for a landing. They didn't. She actually had to come up. Well, I don't know what I was thinking at the time. I must have been tired, but that's not what happened. And she had to come clean because apparently people exposed the whole thing as a, as a lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, there's, a, there's a lot of people out there that, that like to do this sort of thing. Sometimes they are, are brought into that, but not always. Look at what he says. You know that the kingdom was mine. Just because someone makes an assertion doesn't mean it's true. I heard this week the, uh, the president made a statement. One in five women has been raped. Well, when you went into the statistics that they had, apparently, uh, well, he said raped or, or almost raped. Well, almost raped, according to the definition of this thing, almost rape was if someone forcibly tried to kiss you? And there's no scientific study. What it was was an Internet study that was done. And they put up on the Internet a bunch of questions. And as people answered them, one in five women were were, were raped. They're trying to get this to be a a big issue. They had the false article in, what was it, Rolling Stones magazine, about the rape on a certain campus that never happened. And they'll, they'll fabricate a lot of this stuff, but they'll throw these things out, and no one checks it out. No one has to go out and say, and say uh, well, is that, is that actually true? That's what's happening with this. It's nothing new. Happened back then, happened in between, happens now. Just because somebody makes an assertion doesn't mean you ought to believe it. You need to check it out. Even if you like the person. You can still check it out. They may have had wrong facts. They may have been thought that it was true, but we're, we're doing an awful lot of things. I heard the, 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 um, the spokesman for the White House he came out and uh, he was. They're pitching this thing that the number one problem facing the country. You know what the number one problem facing our country is? Yeah, yeah. Global warming. That's right. It's the number one problem facing our country. So actually, a news person, I, I, they had some guts, I guess. They actually asked them. So you think this is what they asked? Well, I'm paraphrasing, but this is what they asked them. You can probably go on YouTube and see the whole interview. I, I want to. I, I heard part of it. It sounded pretty neat. <laughs> they actually asked them. So you think that uh, global warming is a greater threat than terrorism? Then the economy, and, and then listed all these different things, well, we're, look, we're not saying that, you know, that those things aren't threats. We're saying that this is something that impacts people on a daily basis. W- what have you been effect- affected by global warming? <laughs> what has affected you? What has affected people is you know, the, what's going on with health care, what's going on with electricity prices because of the things they're doing for global warming to try and protect it, um, open borders, That's been a big problem, especially if you're one of the bordering states. That's been a a huge... Have you heard measles has made a comeback? Isn't that interesting how even measles made a comeback after we had all those illegal alien children come into our country who were dispersed all over the country and no one knows where. No one knows where. I mean, they they do. They're not publicizing it. But but, uh, train loads of kids brought into the country and then distributed, not even medically checked put into schools, and suddenly a disease that we said was eradicated in the year 2000. We have uh, how many cases? I saw a news report. It was uh, 167, I think, was the last number I saw. But the biggest problem we have in this country (laughs) is global warming, which is all fabricated anyway. By the way, the same models that predicted global warming predicted that nasty snowstorm that never made it. (laughs) Same models. (laughs) These are the the things. You, You have to be careful of the assumptions that people come out with. Because a lot of times we'll do, especially in a news meeting anymore, they like to bring out these assumptions. And they like to bring out these things and people just take them as fact. No, they may not be fact. Just like this one. You know that the kingdom was mine. It was not. It was never his. He was going to steal it. He knew he was stealing it because there were certain people he couldn't invite. And he didn't tell his dad what was going on. Left Zadok out. Left Solomon out. Left Bathsheba out. Left all the people out. The, the, all the mighty men. They were out. Because he you know I can't win them over. You know that the kingdom was mine and all Israel had their expectations on me. That I should reign. However, now watch this, watch this language. If you, if you study liars, you can understand when a lie comes out. However, the kingdom has been turned over. And has become my brother's most times that people put the terminology that something just happened and they don't name the cause, the thing probably didn't happen the way that they're saying. Because nothing just happens. It has a cause. There's a cause to everything. Things just don't... They just don't happen. If you... Have a bank account. Did it just happen? I happen to have a bank account. No, how did you get the bank account? You walked into the bank, you filled out the paperwork, you gave them money, and they gave you checks. They gave you a card. Right? There was a process that was involved. It didn't just happen. Well, I happen to have some groceries in the refrigerator. How? Did it just show up? How did you get groceries in the, in the refrigerator? I happen to have a full tank of gas. Did it just magically appear? Now, everything has a cause. Look at this. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brothers. We just bypassed all the people that were involved. How did the kingdom become his brothers? Who who, who caused it? The king, David. The king, David, said, you do this, you do this, you do this. Put Solomon on my mule, sit him on my throne, and you declare it this way. There was a cause. It was David. Let's bypass that. We don't really need to let people know that David did that because then we'll have to get back to the fact that the kingdom wasn't mine. I mean, if the king is the cause of you not having the kingdom, then it probably wasn't your kingdom. You see, we've got to bypass that. We've got to gloss over this sort of stuff. However, the kingdom has been turned over. And it has become my brothers, for it was his from the Lord. I don't think he really believes that part. I think he still believes it was his. But this is the language that needs to be spoken so that people will hear it. A lot of times people will speak to you in a language that they think you want to hear. It doesn't mean they believe it. it doesn't mean they're sincere about it. Now Bathsheba swallows the whole thing. She's not very perceptive in this. And maybe she sees, oh, here's an inroad. Here, we, can, we can make Adonijah happy. Maybe he'll be happy with us and we can all live happily ever after. Because, you know, she's been a little nervous about this and how this is going to come about for her son and what was going to happen with this. Oh, we can make everybody happy. Just like, you know, we can make the terrorists happy. You can't make the terrorists happy. Can't do it. We're going to see that in some of the story, too. uh, Some of the things with, with Solomon. Now I ask one petition for you, of you. Do not deny me. And she said to him, say it. I, I mean, I gave up the kingdom. It was mine, but I gave it up. I just I just want one thing from you. Then he said, Please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag, the Shunammite's wife. So Bathsheba said, Very well. I will speak to you for the king. He just wants one thing. Just one thing. That was it. <laughs> I, re- I paraphrase his, uh, his statement here. Since I was the victim here and I graciously gave up my right to the throne. You owe me. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying, isn't it? I just want one favor. I just want one thing. Uh, you let me have Abishag. I mean, she wasn't really his wife. Right? So, just, you know, you can take and have all the other wives. I just wanted Abishag. Maybe he just says, you know, she's she's real nice looking and I kind of had a crush on her before. and. <laughs> Now, here's another thing we may not have been thinking about. But when he brings up Abishag, maybe Bathsheba would like to get her out of the palace. Think about that? This is a rival. David's gone. David's dead. But she's the one taking care of him at the end of his life. Not Bathsheba. She may like to get her out of the house. Maybe she don't feel real good about Abishag. Maybe she said, well, I can make Adonijah happy and get him out of my way and I can get get her out of the, out of the palace. And... She's living with him. She might have been excited about this because she goes right over. In verse 19, Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah because Adonijah knows if he goes, he has no shot. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her, sat down on his throne, had a throne set for the king's mother. She didn't have a permanent uh, throne there. They had to bring one in. That means this is not your room. That's what we're saying here. Mom, nice to have you visit. This is not your room. I think about... Um, did you ever see that movie with uh, Tom Hanks, one of the first movies he did um, uh, with, the, with the dog? What's the what's the thing? Turner. Turner and Hooch. Yeah, Turner and Hooch. When he takes uh, Hooch around the house, this is not your room. This is not your room. This is not your room. Then he takes some. over. This is your room. <laughs> well, I... Understand, Mom, this is not your room. Bring her a chair. She doesn't have a permanent chair. This is not her room. She doesn't reign in this kingdom. It's Solomon's. The Word of God said it was firmly in his hand. It's firmly in his hand. Mom, this, you do not reign in this place. I am the king. You have an honor place. I will treat you with respect. But, um, it's, I mean, it's, isn't it in your Bible? They brought a throne in for her. It wasn't there. Because it's not her room and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. There was no throne at his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. She she sold into this. I think when we get to heaven, we can ask her, did you want her out of the house? Is there something going on there? Because right now that's where she's at. She's in the house. She's going to be taken care of in the house for the rest of her life. You don't don't put her out in the street anymore because she was the king's wife even though it wasn't really the wife. I just want one small little favor. And the king said to her, Ask my mother, for I will not refuse you. Be careful what you say. <clears throat> People come to you and say, I have, a, I have a secret for you. Please don't tell anybody. Oh, until you tell me what the secret is, I'm not going to... I'm not making that promise. No, you tell me what the secret is. If you don't want, if you want to... If you don't want to go any further with this, this is fine. You don't have to tell me. But... Um, I'm not going to make that promise to you until I hear what the secret is. So she said, let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, your brother as wife. And he sees through this immediately. So I, I can I just—I can picture myself. I can be in this room and just kind of picture this. King Solomon, I mean, he's, he's there on his throne. He's listening to his mom. Mom, what can I do for you? What can I help you with it? You came all the way in here to interrupt me at work. <laughs> Isn't that what she's doing? She's come over here. She's interrupting me. Mom, you've come over here. You've interrupted me at my work. I'm here taking over the kingdom. we got a lot of things to do. Uh, But you came in. What is it that you want? And when she says that, all of a sudden, I can just see him kind of sitting up, listening to her, sitting back in the throne and uh, being king right now. Uh, Before he was son. Now he's sitting back. He's going to be king. He's going to be king. We're going to see. I I think she saw his countenance change. Because he suddenly saw this is a threat to the kingdom. Mom doesn't see it. Well, she was not the. She, she was a, a, a nice lady, uh, had a lot of good things going for her, but she was not as wise into these things as, as apparently Solomon is now. Solomon hasn't had the prayer, and God hasn't granted him this extra wisdom. But apparently he's got some wisdom in there that he sees this because he sees a whole lot in that one statement. And he acts on it. And look at this. Now, why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? why would you, my mother, who probably doesn't like Abishag and doesn't feel real good about Adonijah right now, why would you come into my throne room, interrupt me at work to ask for Abishag for Adonijah? Hmm. She didn't say anything about Adonijah coming to her, about the whole conversation that went on. So he says, ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother. For him and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. What he is saying here is the conspiracy is not done. That Joab and Abiathar the priest are involved in this as well. That they have all concocted together and decided that Solomon is a young king. If we can put this over him. They're going to see Abishag as, as not a real wife. If you can get her as your wife, you can claim I have the king's wife as my wife. That makes me king. And that'll hold water in a lot of kingdoms. You know, a lot of the... Uh, understand, we're dealing with an Oriental society. We are not an Oriental society. We don't understand that mentality. I absolutely don't understand that mentality. Uh, Be the first one to admit that. I don't even like the food all that much. But this is what their mindset is. And so Solomon sees this right away. He wants the kingdom. And we're not done with this problem yet. Now he's going to be done with the problem. He's ready to, uh, to go on and take care of this. Verse 23. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me. More also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. I was going to let him live. I was going to let him go on. But he's apparently shown that mercy is not what he needs. There are some people, folks, that you can continually extend mercy to and will continually take advantage of it. You need to come to a spot where you say, no more mercy. No more mercy. We're going to be tough. We're going to come down and take care of this thing. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has... Who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has established a house for me as he promised? Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Beniah the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and died. He is a Levite, the son of a priest. He took a priest and said, "Go kill that guy." But you know, the priests were apparently good at killing. Apparently so. Because this is not the first one he's going to kill. So he sends him down. He says, uh, I want you to go over to, to his house and I want you to kill him. No ceremony, no circumstance. Don't arrest him. Don't bring him here. Don't do it. Just go in the house. Kill him. Done. So he does. He struck him down and he died. Now, I don't know that uh, if, if said they're putting this together, maybe uh, Joab is nearby. It doesn't seem that Joab is is there, but you got to figure there got to be some other guys there. He's not by himself. I wouldn't think he's by himself. Got to be some other people there. There may have been some other people that they had to get through in order to get to him. There may have been a little mini battle that had gone on. I, I don't know if that happened or not, but I can't imagine he's just by himself. He's got to know if they figure this out, they're coming for me. You got to be nervous until you get that report that says, all right, it, it works. Up until then, you, they, they may, he may figure it out. If he figures it out, he's coming for me. Which means you could probably have some, some guys in there to help you out. If he had any guys there helping him out, they're dead too. Because they're part of the conspiracy. And to Beathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own fields. For you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David. Because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. He was a lone survivor when they came in and they killed all the priests. He was a lone survivor and David said to him, the people who seek your life seek mine. You stay with me. You'll be safe. And he did. He was very loyal to David. Very loyal to David. But he still sees himself as loyal to David but he thinks David is making a bad choice of kings and that Adonijah is more warrior-like and king-like than Solomon. But he says, I will not put you to death at this time. Because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. So Eli's house was still in the high priest up until Abiathar. And he was removed and Zadok was put in and the house switched. Uh, I believe, the, if I remember right, the house switched back to uh, the house of Eleazar, which Zadok was a descendant of. So Abiathar is exiled to Anathoth and removed from the priesthood. Now, here's something interesting. This is where Jeremiah comes from. He comes out of this place where uh, Abiathar is exiled to. In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priest who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Now, I don't think that everybody who's a descendant in that town or in that area is a descendant of uh, Abiathar. But I wonder if there was any relationship between it. I looked it up. I couldn't find any anything. In the, I didn't spend hours on it. I spent uh, a little bit of time on it, but it <clears throat> wasn't that big of a deal. If you want to spend some more time on it and figure that out, you can uh, certainly do so. But I didn't see any uh, information that way. Then news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah though he had not defected to Absalom. So, when Absalom rose up, Job wasn't involved with that. But on this one, he was. So, Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. And this is exactly what happened in chapter 1. And it worked. Well, it sort of worked back there. But Solomon was not interested in killing anybody that day. And he said, hey, if he does all right, he'll 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 live. Is the word. So, he came out and let go of the horns. But uh, Joab went into there. He said, well, it worked for... Work for him, work for Adonijah, maybe, maybe it'll work for me. So he took hold of the horns of the altar. What they're saying is, if I go into the church, they won't kill me in the church. I'll hang on to the altar, surely they won't kill me in the, by the altar. At least I'll, you know, they'll have to drag me out, but I'm going to hang on. I'm going to hang on to these altars and we'll see what goes on. Then the King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. So, then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So this is his hitman. <clears throat> He's got a priest for a hitman. <laughs> Make a movie about that, huh? The priest who's a hitman. Go out there and take him out. Jo- <laughs> then King Solomon was told, Job was fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. So uh, anyway, go strike him down. Verse 30. So Ben and I went to the tabernacle of the Lord and sent, said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. <clears throat> What's going to happen when you come out? we've already killed one he would have killed Abiathar the priest except he did some things and we're not going to kill you because of that so we're going to put you in exile we're going to send you over here don't leave I'm not coming out there I'm not going to make your job easy and he said no but I will die here if I'm going to die I'm going to die here I'm going to make you kill me in the tabernacle I'm going to make my blood be down here on the ground and you're going to have to look at that all the time so Ben and I have brought back word to the king saying, thus said Joab, and he, thus he answered me. He doesn't want to just, he's a priest. He doesn't just want to go into the tabernacle of David and kill people. Then the king said to him, well, do as he said. Strike him down and bury him that you may take away from me and from my house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. Now, understand what's going to vindicate the Job for the, or the, the house of David for the blood of Joab. He's going to kill him for that. But what he's being killed for is something different. It's for the conspiracy. <clears throat> so the Lord will return his blood on his head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he. He wasn't counting Absalom in it, And killed them with the sword. Abner, the son of Nair, the commander of the army of Israel. And Amasa, the son of Jethir, the commander of the army of Judah though my father David did not know it. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And the king put Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army. And the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. Now, Benaniah... He becomes the commander of the army. How good is he? He's very good at killing people. But David had a whole mess of men who were good at killing people, but they weren't good generals. And we really have very little to go on to find out how good of a general this was. Because all during the days of Solomon, there was peace. Because David conquered everybody that had to be conquered. And um, (laughs) as far as I know, he was never really tested as a general. He had some skirmishes toward the end of, the, of his life, but uh, most of the time there was, there was peace during this, this land. So Joab is now dead. Joab is gone. and This is what happens when you know, new kings come in. You got <clears throat> Whenever somebody new takes over a position, there's a whole lot of old folks around who didn't, don't like the new guy. And they want to they do some things about that. Then the king sent and called for Shemaiah. And said to him, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there. Do not go out for a minute there anywhere. <clears throat> this is another guy. He says, you deserve to die for what you did. But David spared you, and I'm going to spare you too. But this is what you're going to do. You're going to build a house in Jerusalem, and you're not going to leave. You're under house arrest. Or at least Jerusalem arrest. He's, yeah, I guess he could probably wander around the city. But he's not supposed to leave. <clears throat> for it shall be in the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron. That's the brook outside of the city. Know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be in your own head. And Shemiel said to the king, The saying is good. As my lord, the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shemaiah uh, dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shemaiah uh, ran away to Achish, the son of Makkah, king of Gath. And they told Shemaiah, saying, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shemaiah rose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shemaiah went and brought his slave from Gath, and Solomon was told that Shemai had, had gone from Jerusalem to Gath. <clears throat> and had come back, and the king sent and called for Shemai. He said to him, Do I make, Did I not make you swear by the Lord, and warn you, saying, No, for certain, that on the day you go out and travel anywhere that you shall surely die? And you said, To me, the word I heard is good. Why then have you, kept the, have, no, have you not kept the oath of the Lord, and the commandment that I gave you? king said moreover to Shimei, You know, as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David, therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him and down him, and he died. And the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. You would think once he got the new job, the old gig would go away, somebody else would take over the hitman spot, but apparently not. He says, No, I still want you to be my hitman. I need you to come on over here and, uh, you know, you take care of this guy. And he he did. Uh, apparently no trouble. He has no trouble being the commander of the army, priest. No trouble being the commander of the army. No problem taking people out. Uh, you just you just point them out to me, king. We'll take their head off or whatever we got to do to to take care of it. So uh, this guy, he was given a chance. He says, uh, you know, if as long as this is what you're going to do. You're going to build yourself a house, you're gonna buy yourself a house, get yourself a house, whatever you got to do. You have a house here in Jerusalem, you don't leave. If you leave, I'm going to assume that you're up to some kind of conspiratorial effort. And I will take care of that. Stay here. Now, he could have just stayed there, had the slaves to go. If he had slaves to, to leave, he could have just sent to, to Solomon. You know, you don't want me going out there and do it. Do you have someone you can send? Solomon may send back to I really don't care. <laughs> he may say that. And then you just, you figure, well, I'm either going to lose two slaves or I lose me. One or the other. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the slaves finally got the idea and they said, hey, you know what? If we can just get out of the city, we're fine. <laughs> we, we just got to get out of the city. We get out of the city, he can't come after us. This is like, all right. <laughs> Maybe they figured that out. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure word got around. If word got around, they, they all we got to do is clear the city. We see a free, free, free shot there. We're gone. And they uh, they, they took it. And um, I guess they didn't expect him to come after him, but he did. And once he died, I guess they were free again. <laughs> I imagine. I don't know, but they don't really tell too much about that. So you can see Solomon is taking over the kingdom. He's given people room, but apparently people want to take that little bit of room and they want to make a lot of room. And he says, I didn't give you that much room, you're dead. He's got no trouble taking you out. He'll give mercy, but once you go over that, but we're not extending mercy. We're, we're not doing that anymore. Nope. Uh, I told you, this is what the thing was. As long as, I, I told Adonijah, as long as iniquity is not found on you, you'll be fine. Well, what does he think when he goes over with Joab and a Abiathar? And then begin, how can we still take over the kingdom? Is that not putting the wrong thing in his heart? What did Solomon say? As long as there's no, nothing wrong inside of you, as long as your heart's clean, We're going to be fine here. But he didn't do it. Put in your outline this people can do very bad things. Isn't that right? People can do some nasty things. You just got to understand, folks, that people can do some very nasty, very harsh things. They're they're capable of it. Don't be surprised. Just understand that people can do these kind of things. But we serve a God who's greater. And God will give you wisdom how to handle it. Put in your outline this too. What seems innocent can be exposed for the evil that it is if you stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> there are people around you that are going to concoct evil schemes. Some of them against you. Listen to the Holy Spirit. If He says, they're up to no good. Trust them. They're up to no good. Defend yourself. Well, I'll just let the Lord take care of it. Can you imagine if Solomon said this? Well... Adonijah and Joab and Abiathar, they're, they're up to no good. I don't know what to do with, with those guys. I guess I'll just try and make them happy and give them uh, Abishag his wife, and maybe that'll, that'll help. God, you just have to get in there and take care of the thing and just make it right. If you want me to be king, you'll have to do these things. What's God saying? Take them out. If they're not going to submit, you need to take them out. He gave them an opportunity. And they didn't listen. They didn't go after it. Holy Spirit will expose these things for you and tell you how to deal with it. Now <clears throat> you're not king. You can't take people out. <laughs> so um, you know that's not that God's not going to tell you to take somebody out because that's not something you can do. You'll get in trouble. But He's got other ways. Now Solomon, you can take people out. He's the king. That's part. If you have if you're treason, you'll be taken out. And he did, but you're not king. I'm not king. Can't take people out. Can't laser laser the people in front of us in their car. Might, might like to, but you can't do it. No, no. There's, but there's other ways that you can you can do some things, and you can um, God give you a plan, because God does not want evil plans to come against you or to be successful. But sitting back on your hands and not doing anything isn't going to help. You got to all right, God. You've exposed this plan to me. Now, what do we do? How do we take care of this? What do we need to... And understand, in the church, you're going to see a whole lot of this. In the church, you're going to see a whole lot of this. They're not here. I mean, I'll tell you what, we have have good folks around here. All the years that we've been here, we haven't had any of these. But you listen to some other churches, they've got some stuff. They've had some turmoil. They've had people doing some nasty things to each other. You get out there and you find out about things, those things. You come on home here and you think, oh, glory to God. <laughs> one church I was in, they had a secretary. I think she was a secretary for as long as the pastor had been pastor. And the pastor had been pastor a long time. I think when I came on staff there, he had been pastor about 20 years. And she was there the, the whole time. Well, you know, you have one person in that position for a while, they start to do some things. And she had a lot of power, a lot of control over that church. And a lot of the people that were in it. And she had started some time, a long time before. She would park herself at the back table as people were leaving. And she talked to everybody. And she, if she had a plan, if she had a, uh, some kind of thing she wanted to do, she'd start sowing the seeds. So when I came in, I began to see some of the stuff and some of the seeds that were being sown. And it wasn't good. And some of the things were, were happening. And then we would have plans. The pastor would say, we want to do this, 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 and this. And those plans would be changed at the secretary's table. Secretary at her desk, in her office, she would change a lot of the plans. The board would come up with a decision to do something, and she changed the plans. One person would change the plans. So I got wind of this, and the uh, pastor's son got wind of this, and the two of us said, what are we going to do about this? We can't let this go on. But she got a lot of power in this place. Uh, Just because, you know, people liked her she made herself likable and she's always in that position whether there was a need for somebody at the back table or not didn't matter she's every sunday she's back there at the back table talking with people on the way out doing doing some things and so um uh, we came up with a plan and said all right we know how she will respond with this but let's bring everybody let's bring all the leadership in together on this and say here's what we're going to do and we didn't tell anybody what was happening but we knew this plan would get changed. And so we have set it up so that when it was changed, everybody would be aware of it. Sure enough, this person changed the plan. Drastically. Just like they had done with all the other ones. And all the leadership saw it. All of them did. Said, and, and we were able to come in and say, this is not the first time it's happened. This is just the first time you've noticed it. And then we could cite other examples and when things had been done. And so since it had been a, a common problem, we took care of her right away, and she went into retirement. She wasn't happy about going into retirement. She was very upset. She began to go around and tell people all around the church how evil myself and the pastor's son was. And, and we told her, if you, if you do this, if you continue on this path, we will tell people what you did. We're going to let it go. But if you continue on this path, we will tell people what you did. And um, I don't, my memory's foggy after that. I don't know if she, she wised up, left the church or what she did, but uh, we were ready. We had another situation. I mean, he and I, we, we fought a lot of battles together. There was an a organist. This is a church that had an organ. And this organist was in the church about as long as the secretary was in the church <laughs> playing the organ. Showed up every single Sunday to play the organ. Now, the pastor's son was the worship leader. And he was having so much trouble with this organist because they would practice the song one way and the organist on Sunday would play completely different. <laughs> totally different. Would not follow along. And it was causing all kinds of strife in the, in the worship team and the things weren't happening. It was, it was just a mess. And, um, <clears throat> you see, the secretary, of battle, that was my battle. He came along and he helped me. So this was his battle. I said, you're on your own. <coughs> no, I didn't. I said, no, I'll come in there and, and help you out. And so I went in there and the two of us, we took care of it and he was no longer the organist. <clears throat> and we didn't get up from front of the church and say, so-and-so is removed because they're rebellious and prideful and <laughs> say all that. <clears throat> but of course, he went out and said every uh, terrible thing that he could possibly say. And uh, we, we once again, let them know, if you persist in this, we will have to tell people what it is that you did. And i um, not going to expose anything false. we would rather not say these things. You know, you're trying to extend mercy, but if not, we'll come out and we'll tell you. We had a lot of battles like that, and we, we fought together. My last battle I fought in that church was for him because the incoming pastor was going to take him out. And the incoming pastor actually sat in my office. I was already on my way out. I was already leaving. He, The incoming pastor sat in my office, and he said, when I take over this church, he's gone. And I said, would you repeat that? So said, when I take over this church, he is going to be gone. Man, I didn't know what to do with that. This is the guy that, you know, we had fought a lot of battles. Over the period of time, he had kind of, Developed an alliance with this incoming pastor and dropped me. We didn't really see each other a whole lot anymore to that. And so this, uh, but I, I knew the desire of the pastor was for his son to be very much involved in the church, then eventually even take over the church. But he wasn't ready yet and so forth. So, um, I was trying to figure out what to do with this. How, what do I, what do, I do with this? So finally I approached the pastor about it uh, privately and I just says, uh, I want you to know what's going on here. And I told him what was said. Well, then he took it back to the leadership. And this incoming pastor met with the leadership. Oh, no, I've never said that. I'm not planning on doing that. And they all confronted me in the hallway. And they said, did you say this about this incoming pastor? I said, yes, I did. And I looked at him and I said, because you told me. I even made you repeat it. And you told me. He said, I never said that. And so they were all mad at me. They thought I was in there to try and stir something up. I'll tell you what. I, had, I told them how long I was going to be on till this long. I, I went home. I said, God, Raymond told us never quit a church on Monday. I want to quit mm-hmm. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be done with this place. I want to be out of here. I was so bothered by all that that the, uh, especially since the one who came after me the most was the one I was trying to defend. What I found out about it later on, this was uh, years later. Years later his wife uh, had come up and uh, I'd talk with her, found out that this guy did the exact same thing to him that he did to me and that he tried to push him out as well. And I said, you mean he did that? And not one time did he ever, in all his travels through the area, he never came back to talk to me about it, to say anything. And she just stood there dumbfounded. She didn't know what to say. These are This is the person, I mean, we fought Big battles together, big battles together, and he turned his back on me faster than anything. People in the church, that's can, can, why I'm so grateful for this place, because I know what church government can be. I know what it's like. We run things here differently here. There's a reason for it. I have seen the evils when a church has a leadership group and a laity group. This is why we do a whole lot of decisions when we have our salt meetings. This is why we do a whole lot of things together. Because then we're making the decisions together. I have leaders that I I pull from. I have leaders that I talk to. But we have never, in all the years that we've been here at the church, we have never just said, you know what? Pastor wants to go this direction, so that's what we're doing. We've gotten the whole church on board. We've gotten the the leadership. We've talked about it. If we're not ready yet, hey, we wait a year, We wait two years. Whatever it is, maybe we don't go in that direction at all. I've seen what this can do. I saw what that did. I almost got out of, completely out of ministry because of the stuff that... I, I've never told everybody everything that happened to that church. To this day, I still don't even want to step in foot. Step one foot inside the place. And all the people, almost all of them are gone. I still don't want to step foot inside the place. Because I see what evil church can be. How bad it can be. I thank God every time we come into this place. Because we all like each other. <laughs> What's that? Some like a. Some like others more than others. I put this in your outline here at the end. Just understand this not everyone can be reformed. Not everybody can be reformed. Some of the people that were involved in that church, I've told you before, there are some folks that I see walk through the doors. I will stop the service and get them out. And some of those leaders. If they ever step foot inside this church, I will stop the service and I will tell them to get out. I will never let you be exposed to people capable of that kind of evil. Well, maybe they reform. Good, let them reform someplace else. (laughs) They're not getting reformed here. whole lot of places they can go and get reformed. This is not it. They they will not step foot in this place. I will make sure of it because I'm here to protect that. We don't need that atmosphere. We don't need that attitude coming in. And um, that has happened in in churches. It'll happen with unsaved people you expect it with. We don't really expect it with saved people. But I'll tell you what, I've seen some. And it wasn't just in that church. I'll tell you, I've seen some things in other churches. Just makes me think, dear Lord. You said in the Word of God, they will know you're Christians by our our love. And that's a love for each other. And some churches just don't even emulate the, the love for each other. Thank God we do. We can grow in it. We can get even better at it. But thank God we do. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you that that love grows on the inside of us, that we can love each other. But we do understand that there are people, Christians and non Christians, people who go by the name of Jesus and people who don't, who are capable of all manner of evil. But you desire to protect us, and you will tell us what to do. Just as Solomon. Tried to be nice, tried to be kind, but when people showed their continued evil, he dealt with it. Father, we have, may have to do that with some people in our lives. There may be some people that have continually been evil, and we continually want to show mercy, and we continually have problems. We sometimes need to take the action that Solomon did and sever some things. We can cut off some relationships cut off some communications. Just understand that there is no way for that to go in a positive way. But, Father, you give us the wisdom. You tell us when it is that we should give up on certain ones and when we should continue on. I thank you, Father, for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.